Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And we'll read responsively, uh, starting in verse number 10, going down to verse number 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the... We'll see this together. Sorry about that. We're working this out. Here we go. Here we go. Verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, God, just for this church. Thank you for the man of God that we have. Thank you for the people of God that are here. And Lord, we thank you for the spirit of God that's among us. Would you be here in presence, but also in power. And uh, fill our pastor, Lord, with with the spirit of wisdom. And uh, just help him to say what you once said. And uh, please help these truths to come alive in our hearts. Help us to pay attention. Help us to listen. And walk away with something we can take for the rest of the week. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Anthony. I asked him to read scripture. He's going to do it regularly, but I got new glasses this week. I broke the other ones two weeks ago. No problem. We fixed them. Well, I got these and I was working and I can't see. I thought, what's going on here? So I went to the back to the place I got them. And when they transferred the prescription, they didn't put the reader part in. So now I feel like I'm 40 again and got to hold everything out here to see it. And uh, uh, what's that? I got a pair of glasses. No, I got them. I can see it. I just, what, my wife said, you better have somebody else read scripture unless you got it memorized. And uh, uh, I love uh, our American history. I love real American history, not the rewritten versions of. Uh, I especially enjoy uh, World War II history. One of my favorite uh, time eras to study. I'm going to use some illustration from history to teach a Bible truth to you today that I think is extremely important. It's February 19th, 1945. As the sun arose over the Pacific, our Marines had been training for one solid year. That's right. They were training for what they called Island X. They did not know where it was. They did not know the name of the island, but for one solid year, they trained for a landing on what was known as Island X. These Marines didn't even know till the morning of February 19th, 1945, With 70,000 Marines awaiting that they were about to land on what was called Iwo Jima, Sulphur Island. The Navy had been shelling the island for four solid days. They figured the Marines, 70,000, would hit the beach. It's only a half mile wide and a mile and a half long. They figured in three or four days they'd go in and mop up and clean up the mess that was there and They would take the island. Iwo Jima was a volcanic island. At the south end of the island is a volcanic mountain, and it's known as Mount Suribachi. And there were two landing strips on the the island, uh, airstrips. 
We did not want the island for ourselves, but we needed to get rid of it and get the Japanese off of it so that they didn't have air access to us from that island. The beaches and the dust and the the sand there is different than what you would know. The sand is what they call black sand. It has the consistency of baby powder. It's very light. It's just pretty much so just like ash. Imagine three, four, five, six feet deep of nothing but ash. That's what our Marines had to land on. And the beaches were set up to where it was about 30 yards wide. And then you would go up a rise of about 12 or 15 feet. And then you would breach onto the island. What our men did not know was walking in that sand was worse than walking in knee-deep snow. Every step you took was like stepping into a, a hole filled with baby powder. General Kuribachi's men, the Japanese general who led on Iwo Jima, had spent years preparing for this one attack. 17 miles of tunnels, six feet thick, reinforced concrete, were built in that island. Mount Suribachi was seven stories tall of nothing but reinforced concrete bunkering. 22,000 Japanese soldiers were able to go underground and never surface again for four months and survive. There was enough provision and food and what they needed to survive there to survive a four-month standout. The Japanese soldiers knew they were on a suicide mission. They were given orders from Tokyo that... You do not surrender, you give your life. They were told that if they killed 10 U.S. soldiers, then they could die and go to a reward. But if they didn't kill 10 soldiers, they would not. The order was given, though, to wait. Allow these 70,000 Marines to hit the beach and wait till the beaches were crowded. Let them get all the infantry and all the, uh, all the men and all the uh, equipment on the beach before they begin firing. It was not like at Normandy as our men would hit the beach and the front of the boat would drop open and the soldiers were in the pillboxes shooting them out of the ships. They said, no, let's, let's let them get on shore and then we'll take care of them. Our Marines felt like four days of nonstop shelling should have softened the island up. It shouldn't be too bad. But what they didn't realize is that shelling did nothing to the island. After about an hour of landings, the Japanese gave order to fire. The shock was bad, but the carnage was worse. Men were being mowed down by every type of weapon, whether it be single fire, whether it be machine gun, artillery, 50 cal or larger. 
and they couldn't see where one shot was coming from. Our trucks and tanks and machinery were being blown up and struck. They were getting sunk into the goo of the sand and the blood. Our Marines did not see where one shot came from. They were being blown up by mortars and cut down by bullets, blasted by grenades and unable to see one enemy soldier. Not a tree on the island. They couldn't figure out where the bullets were coming from. One Marine saw a 16-year-old boy on the beach facing the water. It looked like he had been buried to his waist in the sand And that Marine hollered to his buddy standing there to turn around and get busy. The boy just could move his eyes and they rolled back in his head. That Marine went over and grabbed him by the arm and realized that the only thing there was his torso. And his insides and his entrails were holding him up. He watched that young man, that 16-year-old boy, take his last breath cut into by enemy fire. The fear, the pain, the chaos, the anger of war was now real. There were men that were literally vaporized by artillery rounds. One moment they were there, the next moment there was nothing left of them, gone. Just Vaporized. Men fighting and feeling things hitting them and thinking it was bullets, but it was actually body parts from their buddies as they would fall from the sky or blow up on them. By the way, that's the reality of war. It would take our men 36 days. For that one island. It would cost the United States. 36,000 lives. 22,000 Japanese would die. The only battle in history. Where America fought. And we lost more men. Than the people we took. And still won the battle. How did these men. How did these brave Marines, against all odds, win this battle? You have to understand, that island was so hot from the volcanic ash that the men would take their K-rations, they would dig a hole in the ground, put their cup there, and fill it with water and food, and it would boil. For 36 days, the enemy fought, and the enemy that they fought They could not see. Nor could we see the damage we inflicted on them. We didn't know if we were winning or not. The battle of Iwo Jima is much like spiritual battle. Listen to me carefully here. We have to battle an enemy we cannot see. We have to deal with the carnage and not knowing from whence it comes, but we must deal with it. 
The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I tell you something? The battle as a Christian, the battle as a a spiritual Christian, sometimes you'll not see where the attack's coming from. You'll never see your enemy. You'll fire back and not know whether you hit them or not. You may have hit them and the next moment there's another shot coming from the same place because... Someone else took their place. See, the, the spiritual battle of life is much like what our Marines faced there at Iwo Jima. Let me give you several observations today. I believe will be a help to you as well as biblically spiritual in your life. Number one, to win a battle like this, You have to have discipline over the chaos. You have to have discipline over the chaos. Please listen to this statement, and it's not meant in an arrogant fashion, but you won't see me panic. Can I tell you why? (laughs) Panic doesn't do anything. As all panic does is cause more problems. When I see people panic, it's like, yeah, hush up, slow down. (laughs) And if they don't listen to that, yeah, shut up. Let me help you. Preacher, how can you stay so calm? Because that's what it takes to get through the chaos. You see, (laughs) you have to fight that urge to panic. You have to fight that urge to run. You have to fight that urge to stand up. And uh, I, I met a man. He said, "Preacher," he said, "I was it was a man that fought in World War II. I forget. Uh, I believe it was the man I talked to that fought with Patton in the Third Army in in Europe." And he said, "I was in a foxhole with a couple guys." He said, "A guy put his head up to look, and he said we heard the bullet go ting on his helmet." He said, "The guy came back down." He said, "Am I still alive?" They said, well, you're talking. <laughs> he took his helmet off, and that thing had put a ring around his head, uh, and that bullet hit his helmet, went three-quarters of the way around, and came out his helmet on the other side. He said, good night, man, you're lucky. The guy put his helmet back on, stuck his head up, looked again, and took it one right between the eyes. I thought, man, I wouldn't put my head back up. I'd put my helmet up on top of my gun and see what's up there, amen? But he just, ding, got lucky. Second time he didn't get lucky. You have to fight that urge to run. You have to fight that urge to panic. And when the tumultuous times come and when the difficult times come and when the chaos begins to come, look at me, you've got to quit running. You see, the devil creates panic to get people to move so he can pick you off. They know that if he can create panic, 
people are not going to think and not going to hide. They're just going to start running. And when you start running in the open, <laughs> you're a target. I've dealt with medical emergencies. I've dealt with heart attacks. I've dealt with deaths. I've dealt with children dying, babies dying, teenagers dying, adults dying, young couples who've just been married, one of them die, you name it. I've seen it all. I don't panic. It doesn't mean I don't feel things, but it means I'm not going to panic during the situation. We're going to deal with it. Then I'll fall apart. Amen. Most of the time I don't fall apart because <laughs> I'm so busy helping everybody else not fall apart. And in the process, I help me not fall apart. The worst thing to do after you've been hurt is to get right back up. Because you don't know how bad you're hurt. And our enemies have been trained. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> don't make bad decisions in panic times. Can I tell you something? The worst time to make a decision is when you're in a panic mode. I use the statement, don't make a, a, a decision with a broken decision maker. Well, when you're in the heat of battle, it's not time to start making decisions. It's start time to act. It's, tar- it's time to take the training and, and use that training and keep going. When you get bad news that you got a disease, it's not time to start making bad decisions. I got word this week of a pastor, pastor of a large church in our country, passed away several years ago. A younger man in his 40s took it over. He found out this week that he's got ALS. He will be dying soon. My heart broke for that pastor and that church. I may not agree with every aspect of them, doesn't matter to me, but my heart hurt for him. My heart hurt for a church going to go through the death of another pastor. I prayed for him. Uh, but it's not time to make rash decisions. That's why you plan when things aren't bad for when the times are when it is bad. Make sense to everybody? Uh, the time to not plan for bad finances is not when you're ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt. It's to keep yourself from continually going in debt. You don't wait till the uh, till the economy's bad and the interest rates are sky high to figure out how to get out of trouble. You don't wait till tragedy comes to figure out what you're supposed to do. Brother Wiley, I'm going to use you for a moment. Brother Wiley and I have been working on his dad's health for, for a long time. Just in the last week or so, I said, look, here's who you need to contact. This is the information you need to get together. Make sure you have it all before your dad passes away. Let's make sure that we have it all in place so that we don't have to deal with it when the time comes. Amen. Let's have everything prepared. Can I tell you something? When it does come... The tragedy doesn't change, but the panic of it does. The chaos does. You know, most people run for security when the panic starts. That's when they get shot. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm going to teach something. It's something I've used as an announcement in our church. We have good church security here. 
Things are in place. Doors are locked at certain times of services, and we have men watching cameras, and nobody comes on this property without us knowing. We have guards that are here. We have people that are armed and ready for whatever takes place. I never worry about it. But may I say something? You've heard me even coach our church. The worst thing to do if somebody comes through those doors and has ill will and has guns pointed is for you to hide under a chair. Everybody has a weapon. It's called a songbook, a Bible, or women, it's your purse. God knows, ain't no man in the world wanting to take a shot from a purse, amen? But seriously, if I say, everybody over here, throw your songbook, grab a book, throw it. Say, what's that going to do, preacher? Is that going to stop him? It'll slow him down enough to where those of us that have the wherewithal to neutralize it can. The chaos will slow it down. Say, well, somebody, well, you hide under that chair, guess what you are? That's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's not time to hide. It's not time to run. Because all that panic and chaos is what they want so they can do more damage. So the best security then is to deal with the threat. So, well, preacher, somebody might get hurt. Well, we know somebody is. We're just hoping it's the right somebody. We'll have less hurt doing it that way than you will everybody ducking under a chair. Amen. <laughs> everybody doing okay? Right. Uh, I, I got to keep going or I'm going to get in trouble for what I say. <laughs> what you need to do is stay put and fight. Stand. You know, the best way to take care of a bully is to knock him right in the nose. Now, I'm not for fighting, but if it comes to it and I've got to put up or shut up, we're going to put up. I might get beat, but somebody's going to know they got in fight. I I hate fighting. I'll, I'll avoid fighting in every issue. I think if you're quick to use your fists, you're, you're not smart and you're not wise and you're ungodly. But there does come a time where it does take place, but it should be very rare. Amen. Once in 56 years. Not bad. And I've dealt with a whole lot more people than you have. Now, wait a minute. Listen to this statement. I love what General Patton used to say. General George Patton used to say, don't you die for your country. Make your enemy die for his country. Amen. I love that. He said, don't you be a hero. Make him be a hero in his country. Your death doesn't do anything for our country. You firing that gun does something for your country. He used to say, if you've got a gun and you've got bullets and you're not pulling the trigger, you're disloyal. I love that. Can I tell you something? Us Christians, we Christians have been told too long, well, uh, we've got to be nice and we've got to uh, respect everybody. I can be nice and respect everybody and t- give them the truth that they're going to die and go to hell if they don't get saved. I'm so tired of sissy britches, watered down, lace wearing on their underwear preachers. It drives me nuts. Jesus wasn't a long-haired maggot that wiggled when he walked. I'm tired of the University of Chicago saying that God could have been a sodomite. Now hang on. University of Chicago was started as a Christian college. 
Where's that come from, preacher? People that are too nice, they even love the devil. Folks, I hate to tell you something, but somebody with long hair that wiggles when they walk, that's light in their loafers, doesn't walk up to Peter, James, and John, professional fishermen, and say, fellas, leave your business and follow me. Let's go. There ain't no strong, red-blooded, hard, hard-working businessman going to leave his business to follow a guy that wiggles when he walks. Not a one, especially a fisherman. Have you ever been on the docks and looked at some of those guys that work down there? You didn't. Them tough dudes. Man, I was when I was out in California, I'd go down to San Pedro. San Pedro is a little. It's not really an island, but it's a piece of ground that sticks out into the into the ocean a little bit. And it's San Pedro is built on a hill that goes this way. The whole city sits on the side of the the mountain, all the way out into the ocean. You get down to the docks in San Pedro, you better know who who you're with, where you're going, and and because uh, those are rough dudes. I got down there one day. I was dressed like this. You guys are looking at me. One of them said, "You're lost." I said, "No, I'm going to heaven when I die. Are you lost?" He said, say what? He said, I know you're a preacher now. <laughs> I walked over to a group of fishermen, started talking to them. They said, you're pretty brave. I said, I might be pretty brave, but i got to talk to you so I know how to get out of this place. You know, they listened, and listened to the gospel. They didn't get saved, but they respected somebody who knew how to talk to them. I didn't cuss and swear like they were. I wasn't going to drink and smoke. Yeah, they knew I didn't belong there. I knew I didn't belong there. But I wasn't just going to stop and ask for directions because I'd have been at the bottom of the ocean somewhere, amen? Wearing a pair of concrete tennis shoes. Sometimes you just got to stay put and fight. The urge to run, the chaos, needs discipline. Can I tell you something as a parent? When the nighttime hours come and the baby's crying and you don't know what's wrong and the fever's up sometimes you just have to stay put and get through as your kids become teenagers and you want to kill them (laughs) discipline through the chaos Uh, the reward for not killing your kids as teenagers is called grandkids amen Amen. glory to God so there has to be discipline in the chaos number two Pillboxes were neutralized, but they were restored. They were re-inhabited by the enemy. We would clear out some guys in a pillbox, and ten minutes later, people are firing from it. At the time, we did not know there were 17 miles of tunneling under there. We'd throw flamethrowers in there and burn out a bunch of them, and half hour later, there's gunfire coming from the same place we just cleared out. Let me make a statement here. Just because you conquer it once doesn't mean you won. As you grow as a Christian, you'll you'll win a battle or two and get a little arrogance about yourself, and it's going to come back and slap you upside the back of the head. Just because you win at one time doesn't mean you won it for the rest of your life. Let me say it this way. Those of you that have been saved a while, 
The sin you battle today is the same sin you battled years ago. Just at a different level. If you had troubles lying, you probably still have trouble lying. You have certain things that cause you to get angry. Those things still cause you to get angry. Everybody doing okay? Okay, we went from preaching to middle and real quick, didn't we? You have to keep attacking the same place or the devil's going to restore people in that position to keep firing at you. Just because you win something one time does not mean you won forever. Okay, let me use the illustration that you all know real well. (laughs) I'm not the boldest soul winner. You know what my first thought is? I hope they're not home. (laughs) Say, preacher. That hand right there has knocked on millions of doors. I've been cussed at, had guns pointed in my face. I've had dogs let loose on me. I've had people come to the door with nothing on, uh, both genders. I've had everything in the world sicked at me, stuck at me, cats jumping on me and biting, you name it. I've seen it. I've won thousands and thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord, and I still, man, I hope they're not home. <laughs> Brother Kevin, I can't, I can't conquer it. You know, I have to tell myself, you got to go. Just because you go one time doesn't mean you obey God for the rest of your life. You got to keep going and keep going and keep going. It's like buying a brand new truck. They fill it up with gas, and as soon as it's out of gas, you throw it away and go buy a new truck. No, you got to keep filling the tank. It's a lot cheaper, amen? Well, any bit more it's not, but... There were 17 miles of tunnels. There were tens of thousands of men in those tunnels, and they could not see it, but they were all connected, and our men did not know that, and they had to keep going back to and clearing out what they had just cleared out. There were slits in the ground where they would put uh, reinforcement and uh, there was just a hole that big where somebody could get a gun through it and aim and fired our men on Iwo. They would clear that out and sleep next to it and get their throats cut because somebody else would come through. So, just because you neutralized it once doesn't mean it's down forever. I preached a sermon, preached it years ago, about King David when he was a teenage boy facing Goliath. The Bible says that he smote him with the sling but slew him with the sword. Had David not cut Goliath's head off, he may have got back up. Key to David's success was he kept cutting the head off the giant. I hate to tell you something, but the sins of your life and the attacks from the devil are going to keep coming. You're going to have to keep firing. You fire one round, that's good. I'm glad you hit your target, but you might have to keep pumping rounds into it. Number three. The enemy could hide its dead and wounded to where we could not see our success. We never saw whether we succeeded or not. When you're fighting an enemy you cannot see, you don't know if you were successful with the shot you made. 
let me make a statement here. The devil doesn't leave his dead or wounded on display. The tragedy of the devil is not what's laying in the streets of Martinsburg and Kearneysville and Charlestown this morning, hung over in a drunk, laying in their own vomit. That's not the success of the devil. Can I tell you what the success of the devil is? Churches that are shut down, not preaching the gospel. Preachers who once preached the truth that are now pussyfooting, back scratching and ear tickling instead of giving the truth. The success of the devil is not the drug addict. It's not the person in jail today. Brother Juan's back there, by the way. Uh, they let him out for good behavior this morning. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. But I will tell you this. The success of the devil is Christians who didn't come to church this morning. Making money or having fun or staying in bed was more important than obeying God. There comes a point in time where you got to trust your training and keep on going. Uh, just about a little over a week ago, my niece is a Tampa police officer down in Tampa, Florida. A man had carjacked someone, killed him, told his wife to get out of the car, shot, him, shot her husband right in front of her. Had his children in the car. Picked him up, went to his brother's house, got a AK-47 rifle, left his children there, and then went on a firing rampage. My niece was one of the first police officers on the scene. Cut him off. She and her partner jumped out of the car, and the man un started unloading an AK-47 right at him, 30, 30 caliber rifle. My niece went into action by response, by reflex. She fired the first six shots. As she was getting the sixth shot off, all the other officers that had gotten there began to fire, and they neutralized the situation. Nobody else was hurt. My dad was talking to her, and she said, Grandpa, you know, you don't know what you're going to do till it happens, but when it starts happening, instinct takes over. Training takes over. You just do what you got to do. You know your buddy, you know your fellow officer is at stake, your life is at stake, you just do what you got to do. You deal with it later, but you got to do what you got to do. By the way, in my opinion, she's a hero, and so are the rest of those officers. And they did it the right way. Saved America a few million dollars in court costs, it's okay. You have to trust your training pastor called me this morning he said preacher I know it's Sunday morning but I gotta have some help I said go ahead I told him about six seven minutes had him calm down he said now I can go love my people the way I'm supposed to he texted me a little while later and he said thank you for all of your years of experience to calm me down so I didn't blow it today I said, it's okay. That's what us old people are here for. Shut up. <laughs> you don't have to see the damage done. Just keep doing what the commanding officer tells you to do. 
Can I tell you something? I don't know how big of an impact I'm making in this world. But I know this, I'm obeying orders from headquarters. I don't have to see whether I'm winning or losing. I'm just obeying orders from headquarters. You have to realize you don't see the whole battlefield. You just see what's ahead of you. And I may not see what's happening on the other side, but I know I can do what I've been commanded to do. Quit trying to measure the results by what you see. God says we walk by faith, not by sight. We're, we're looking at, well, it's just such a bad time, preacher, and it seems like the world's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And God told us in Second Timothy, it would get worse and worse. He said, in the last days, evil times will come. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They'll want somebody to tickle their ears instead of giving them the truth. And we have religious institutions filled with people today getting their ears tickled and nobody's getting the truth. Let's quit measuring our success by what we see and keep obeying orders from headquarters. Can I tell you something? I'm not worried about what the end result is. I'm just worried about following orders. Number four. Listen to this very carefully. Courage has to overcome fear. Courage has to overcome fear. Now listen to this next statement. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage needs fear in order to be courage. If there is no fear, there is no need of courage. But can I tell you something? After you do something long enough, you don't, you're not afraid of that. That's right. <laughs> I watch my daughter and son-in-law with a baby, and sometimes they think, oh, he's going to break. Thinking, no, that bugger will bounce back faster than you will. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, what about, what about, don't worry about it. But how do you know? We know we've been there three times. Been through that battle so many times, I don't need courage to get through it. Y'all doing okay? Uh, but the first time I went through it, I needed that courage. There was fear. Them little boogers don't come with an instruction manual and they can't talk. They don't have a little computer port to put, plug in and tell you what's wrong with that thing. You just know you put stuff in, stuff comes out, and it comes out more places than you put it in. That's the nicest way I know how to say that too. As my father would say, his definition of parenting, you spend the first two years teaching them to walk and talk and the next 16 telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> After raising three, I think I understand what my father meant. Amen? Courage is doing right in the face of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Do you know there are times I still am afraid preaching? But I do it anyway. Uh, courage is going on in the face of fear. Evil always tries to intimidate. I mean, let me give you a couple words of advice here. 
Anybody that tries to lead by intimidation doesn't have the goods to lead. Governments that have to lead by intimidation are oppressive governments. Leaders who have to lead by intimidating, whether it be at work or a teacher in a school or some type of leadership, any type of leadership that has to intimidate generally is not a good leader. Those of you involved in law enforcement, I respect you with the utmost respect. But there are officers at every level, whether it be military or civilian, that they have this attitude. Those are the ones I have a problem with. I had one show up after somebody stole our church van. And it was like I owed him a favor for doing a police report. I got in his grill. I said, you don't want to come here? Leave. I'll call 911 again and have somebody else come out. I said, but you're not going to treat me this way at my church when somebody else stole something from me. Everybody doing okay? I kind of talked him down a little bit. But I have the utmost respect. I carry often. I had to call police one day. There was some things going on in the area here. And I saw something suspicious. And the officer called me from the parking lot. He said, Pastor, I'm here. I said, okay. I said, I just want you to know, I'm carrying. Should I leave my weapon in my office or should I stay carrying? He said, stay carrying. Come on out. I said, okay. I respected him enough. to. I didn't have to tell him, but I chose to. So, well, I don't think you should do it. Well, you don't do it, but I wanted him to trust me. I left my coat off. He could see the weapon. Walked out, explained what was going on. He kept looking. He said, what you carrying, Pastor? I told him, he said, can I see it? I said, it's loaded and ready to fire. He said, it's okay. I said, just want you to know before I reach in there, it's loaded and it's ready to fire. He said, all right. He looked at me. He said, I'm going to have to try one of these. We went and did what we needed to do. By the way, that type of respect, I respect. And he respected mine. It's those that have to try to intimidate you. Those are the ones I have a problem with. Uh, Be careful as we lead in a home that we don't lead by intimidation. (laughs) My preacher used to say, if you have to say, I'm the boss, you're not. I have the title. You just lost it. Usually the louder you say it, the weaker the argument. Courage follows orders and direction when afraid. It doesn't follow emotion. Courage puts emotion aside and follows that which is right. Uh, Emotions don't help you make good decisions. Those of you in the Marine Corps, those of you that have been in, in, in combat and different things, you're taught, don't let your emotion control you. Say, why? <laughs> because your emotion, if you listen to your emotion, you're going to die. Because your emotion is going to tell you get afraid and get out of there. General Patton used to practice his, <laughs> what he called his soldier face. Didn't want to flinch under fire. 
He would go to the live round ammunition where the, where the soldiers were firing, and he, they, they had a trench under there where the people that would put the targets up would be. He would go back there, and they would put a special shield up just above his head level. And he would practice parade marching back and forth with live bullets going <laughs> over his head. See, why did he do that? Because he, he wanted to live when he was on the battlefield to where he didn't flinch when bullets were flying over his head. Amen. Something you learn about a bullet, if you hurt it, it's already past you. The natural reaction is, well, if you heard it go, it's too late. It's the ones you don't hear that get you. By the time you've heard it, it's already many feet past you. And he knew that if he could learn to walk with those bullets zinging past his head without flinching, when he was in the battlefield, he could hear the... And it wouldn't bother him. He would fight that urge. How did he do it? Training. He didn't let the emotion get to him. Courage is found in principle, not in circumstances or emotions. Number next. I'll hurt quickly. Heroes were killed or wounded. So new ones had to rise. Heroes were killed or wounded. So others had to rise. Please listen. It didn't matter who got hit. The battle had to go on. I don't know how else to say this. When the battle's on, good people are going to get hurt. Some are going to lose. But it doesn't mean the battle stops. Brother Anthony, come here for a second. If the old man dies in battle, new ones have to rise. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying don't miss the old ones. Please do. <laughs> but you don't stop doing right just because I did. Right and wrong does not change no matter who stands there. Thank you. The day will come when this old voice will be silenced. I have no premonitions. I hope it's a long time from now, and I'd rather go by the upper taker than the undertaker. But others will have to rise. Quit pouting who fell and start fighting. I know people that have lost pastors to death. I know people who have lost pastors to them changing and going a wrong direction. And they spend the rest of their life mourning and grieving over someone from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and do nothing for God. Hey, new Christians need to rise. We need to step above who fell and stand up. 22 years ago, my pastor died. But guess what? God didn't. God did not die February 6th, 2001, when Dr. Jack Hiles passed away. 
I had to make a decision. Am I going to hurt and go on or sit here and pout? Well, bless God, I decided what he taught me got me to where I was. It'll take me to where I'm going. I decided to pick up the sword and the gun and keep on fighting. Decided I wasn't going to sit there and just try to coast off of what had been built. Time to go out and do something. Quit pouting over who fell and fight on. (coughs) Medics and leaders are the targets of the enemy. (laughs) Did you realize those medics were pretty tough people? They carried weapons, but they were trying to patch up bloody bodies under fire. Our, our men got wise to this wearing the red cross stripe thing on their, on their uniform. Because all that did was say, shoot there. Because every one of those I kill, more soldiers are going to die than I shoot. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I wonder how many people have died and gone to hell because somebody complained about their pastor dying or a hero letting them down. I wonder how many people sit in this room bitter over somebody that changed or a church that changed after a leader died and people have died and gone to hell instead of doing what's right. Please don't take this the wrong way, but you don't go to a church just because grandma and grandpa are buried in the backyard. Dig them up and take them somewhere else. Good grief. I'm not going to stay in church because granny and grandpa and 14 generations are buried out back. That's a dumb reason to stay in church. Everybody doing okay? I'm not, I'm not angry, but what I'm saying is if the church is going the wrong direction, get out and go the right direction. Number six, I got to hurry. They all had to deal with the gruesomeness of death and the loss. Look at me, you're not going to get out of this war called life without seeing some heartache. You're not going to get out without seeing death. You're not going to get out without seeing some grieving, some hurt. I stood behind this very piece of wood not quite three years ago with my mother's body there and preached my own mother's funeral. I've preached three of my four grandparents' funerals. I've preached two of my wife's grandparents' funerals. If the natural course of life takes place, I'll have to preach other of my family's funerals. But it doesn't change that book right there. Doesn't mean I give up because my heart hurts. Doesn't mean I quit living because somebody else did. But listen to this. Did you know... The person you love most in this world could die or will die and the sun's coming up tomorrow. As much as I hate to say that, the whole world didn't revolve around how you feel. They watched innocent men die. The Japanese on Iwo was so, so, were so evil that they would pull the ships in close to get the wounded out they would let them fill the, the decks with wounded people and they would fire mortar rounds onto the deck of the ship and kill all the wounded. Sometimes they saw friendly fire take their friends. I talked to a man yesterday who fought in Vietnam. 
was walking through the jungle, and a guy behind him, his gun went off and fired and blew two of his fingers off. Got sent home by his own soldier. He was angry. He had words I cannot say or will say. He said, he sent me home, and I could have been there helping, helping our guys, but he sent me home, fired he, he was mad. I thought, man, that's the kind of guy I want in the trench with me. I'm going to have to, you're going to have to deal with casualties around you. But your focus needs to be on stopping the enemy, not the damage that he's inflicting. Too many of us look around and say, look how many have, yeah, but the problem isn't how many have fallen, it's somebody still firing. Somebody's got to take charge and go after the one still putting them down. I got to quit. The Japanese soldier was not necessarily a bad person. They had wives. They had children. They had mamas and daddies. They wanted to go home. Don't you think they wanted to see their families? Don't you think they had dreams of what they wanted to do with their life? The problem was the Japanese soldier was led by an evil doctrine. The evil doctrine destroyed 22,000 Japanese soldiers and 32,000 Marines. By the way, bad doctrine always destroys. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to give up attacking bad doctrine. They may not be bad people, but I will fight their bad doctrine. These are people that always want to lift the rules. They want to change the rules. Well, let's meet and decide what the church will believe for the next three or five years. I don't need to change the rules. God wrote it down. Right there it is. Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Guess what? We don't have to meet and see what rules need change. We just need to keep re-preaching the ones that he wrote. Well, we just care so much. We just love so much. Liberals always want to be warm and squishy on the outside, but look look what they're doing now. Oh, we have your children's lives. It's, uh, it, 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 and this is what we care about, your kids. And we'll let the alphabet soup crowd destroy them in our schools. We need and we will fight an enemy we cannot see. God said in Ephesians 6.10, for we, or 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not going to see our enemy just like our soldiers did not on evil. But I've given you about six truths today that will help you in your battle called life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. Fighting the unseen enemy. We know who he is, but we can't see him. We watch people get mowed down, but we didn't see where the shot came from. Do you know for sure that if you died, you go to heaven? Today's the day. How about you? 
Come and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've been saved and never baptized, we could take care of it today. Baptism doesn't take you to heaven. It just makes you obedient. If you've been saved and baptized by immersion and you'd like to join Grace Baptist Church, we'd love to have you. I'm not holding back. Have, trust me, one sermon, you'll know what I stand for. Maybe we need to decide that as a family, each family in this room would reach one family in the next 12 months. If each family in this room would reach one family, snatch them from the world, pull them to safety, teach them what we just heard today, I wonder what we could do for this area. I wonder. I wonder. Who'd say, preacher, something in that sermon, something I needed today. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You may put your hands down.